Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen for me. Hallelujah. Second Kings. First Kings. Sorry, I told you first. It is first. First Kings. I got it written down wrong here on my paper. That's the reason why I use pencil, because I make a lot of mistakes. First Kings chapter number three and verse number 23. I don't know if I ever told you where I was starting that, sister. Sorry. And by the way, you know me, I got to stop a thousand times before I can read my text. By the way, I listened to all four messages of uh, while I was gone this past week. Tremendous, just wonderful preaching and teaching that took place. Amen. Listen to them all. I heard Brother Mason just giving accolades and thinking that I was his pastor, and he's right. I listen to those. I don't. I don't just let them slide by or anything like that. I listen to them. Amen. It's bread that's coming here to the sheep of this fold, and I'm going to listen to it. Amen. I'm going to listen to it because I'm a part of this fold too. That's a precarious thing that many people don't realize. That in this position, you are both shepherd and sheep. And so I'm part of this boat too. So they're very capably something to come across this pulpit whenever it's not me the one preaching that is absolutely what I need. Amen. Food for my soul. Amen. First Kings chapter 3. You've heard it again. Verse 23. Starting. <clears throat> the Bible says, <clears throat> Then said the king, This is Solomon king here. Then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that liveth. And thy son is the dead. The other saith, Nay, but thy son is the dead, and my son is the living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. He brought a sword before the king. The king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O oh, my lord, Give her the living child and know why slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Then the king answered and said, Give her the living child and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. This is not Mother's Day, but you will understand where I'm coming from when this is done. This is not Mother's Day, but I would like to talk to us a little night a little tonight on this subject the test of motherhood the test of motherhood all right amen help us this evening father lord i come to you tonight i'm grateful lord jesus Jesus Christ that I pray and the church say amen amen you may be seated the test 
the test of motherhood. The test of motherhood. We find here in 1 Kings chapter number 3 that King Solomon has not been king for that long. He has entered into this new venture of life, of being king, though he had witnessed his father before him act and function in the role of kingship. And so no doubt he can garner a little bit of understanding of a role of a king, having had viewed his father play in that role. But I guarantee you this, you do not know the role of your father in any capacity that he serves until you have served in that capacity. I, as a child, was exposed to a man that was in a pastorate, the father of a, of a, of a pastor. And there is only a certain amount of knowledge, only a certain amount of understanding that can be granted to me as being the son of the pastor. But I guarantee you I have better understanding six years into this than what I did for those a number of years 20 years as he was pastor and so Solomon is still we might say a little wet behind the ears in his kingship and as he had the ability to ask of God whatever he desired whatever he would want from the Lord and the Lord seemingly told him that he would grant it unto him he could have asked for riches he could have asked uh, for, for wealth he could have asked if you will for the, the lives of his enemies and victory over them but Solomon in his asking asked if God would grant him the wisdom that a king needed in order to function in that role and in that capacity I don't know uh, brother Mason if he saw in the service of his father that that was perhaps a trait that would be very necessary or needful for a king and so going beyond and not even asking for riches and not asking for uh, victory over his enemies, he does just that and asks for the wisdom of the Lord. We know in Scripture that the Bible then portrays him as a man that was very wise, as though that there was not one as wise as Solomon until he made his entry into the world and there was not another one like him after his exit from the world he is a very wise man and because he asked for wisdom the Lord said the riches you did not ask for you're going to get as well the victories that you did not ask for you're going to get as well because wisdom has a means of letting us be financially astute and 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 know how to serve in strategies of war so whenever he asked for wisdom unbeknownst to him those other things would be given to him as well but as the trial of wisdom goes, how in the world are you going to know you have something if it's not exercised that you have it? And so what Solomon has here is a situation that is brought to him not long after this endorsement of wisdom upon his life and this allotment of wisdom that is given to him and the story goes something like this that there are a couple of women the bible calls them harlots that there are a couple of women that's within the same home and they dwell in one house and 
the Bible depicts as both of these women are ready to give birth to a child and whenever they in a particular day gave birth to their children the Bible says that there was no stranger in the house it was just them nobody else was in the house except them and the Bible says in one of the nights that one of the women overlaid her child so the child evidently was sleeping with mom and the Bible says that a lady overlaid her child and because she overlaid her child, she arose somewhere in the midnight hour and that she took the living son from the one mother and exchanged it for her dead son to the other. And so we have this exchange going on. She realized she has overlaid it. She has a dead, a dead newborn here beside her. So she gets up in the night. There's no stranger in the house. Goes to where the other woman is with her living child. Says, I'm going to place my dead child here and take the living child over here with me. And so when they rise in the morning, the woman that had had, don't get lost in all this, the woman that had had the living child is a little puzzled. No doubt the last time she had creeped open her eye during the night that boy had been alive she's seen his chest rising and falling as any new, new new parent does you know you sit there with that first newborn and you just stare even into the midnight hours and beyond just make sure it's still breathing <laughs> I will never forget those moments. You could pass a lot of time at a crib or a bassinet just watching a chest getting down like this and saying, is air going in? And is there, you know, you put your hand there, put a glass there, see if it's fogging up. You know, all these things. You want to make sure your baby's alive because first, surely those moms, they understand the strain and the heartache and all the despair that it took to get that child into the world. And so when she awakens in the morning and there's a dead child in her bosom and there's no stranger that's been in the house, her mind gets to rolling about what is going on when she began to consider this in her mind. She goes and she even affronts or confronts rather this lady saying what, what have you done? I had a living boy whenever I went to bed. I checked on him, if I can say it in Paul McGee terminal. I checked on him different times during the night as he laid there. And I know he was living the last time that I checked on him. But now when I wake up in the morning, he's dead. Surely there's been a switcheroo in the kingdom here that has taken place. And so they are barking back and forth at each other. The, the, the one that has the dead child, that had the dead child, is saying, no, this is my living boy. The one that had the living child is saying, hey, no, 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 that living child is still mine. My boy is not dead. So we have an issue here that needed some wisdom. And so they take their cause to the King Solomon and they no doubt rehearse the story to him how they both had children, both were alive, but one mother has overlaid and in a sense killed her child and the other had a living child that has been taken by the one are you all still here you following me tracking with me by the one that has overlaid her child and so the king is at a quandary where he's saying thank God I asked for wisdom I'm glad I didn't ask for riches because that really wouldn't help right now or, or victory over, that really wouldn't help right now and so he says what I'm hearing this woman saying the living child's mine and the dead child's hers. This woman saying, the dead child's hers and the living child's mine. 
And so we're going to do something about this. He said, bring me a sword. Now, if I'm a gracious little mother over here, and they're talking about bringing a sword, I'm wondering what's, I mean, what kind of divining is about ready to take place here. He said, bring me a sword, and what we're going to do, we're going to divide the living. Everybody say the living. We're going to divide the living child in two. We're going to give half to this woman and half to that woman. And I'll, I'll try to be as good as in my slicing to make sure one's not bigger than the other half. <laughs> and, and we're going to settle this issue because you'll both get half of the living child. But the Bible says the woman whose child it was cried out unto Solomon and basically wanted that child to live but the one whose it was not said go on and divide the child half to me and half to her in other words one lady is saying I don't want to suffer the child to die I want the child to live but to the other woman it's like I could care less whether the child lives or whether it dies and this is the answer of Solomon in verse 27 then the king answered and said give her speaking to the woman to whom it belonged give her the living child and in no wise slay it she is the mother thereof what was it that brought this understanding to Solomon that this mother contrary to the other mother was the mother of the child. What was it that Solomon heard? What was it that Solomon seen that gave the indication about this test of motherhood, of who belonged, who the living child belonged to? If I could tell you this evening and just read just from another, another translation, that same verse in the Living Bible, it says, then the king said, give her who pleads for his life, the living baby, and by no means slay him, she is the mother's child. What Solomon deduced from all of this to know whose child it was and whose child it was not was this. He was basically saying the child's mother is the one that pleads for the life. The child's mother is the one that pleads for the life of the child. Folks, I need to come around on this Sunday night and preach to you and I just a little bit about backslidden people. And I need to talk to you tonight a little bit about lost souls that's never darkened the church house doors because there is a quandary in our hour. The adversary only knows one thing and that's how to overlay his children. And the quandary is coming up that who are you? Who do the souls belong to? Who do the backsliders belong to? And the divine hand of God is this. I'll tell you who they belong to. They belong to the mother that's pleading for their life. Somebody needs to understand right now. Solomon had a decision to make and he made it over who was pleading for the life of the child. We need to stand up as the first apostolic church in this end time and as being the mother, if you will, of the children of lost souls and backslidden people, there needs to be some weeping and pleading and crying for the souls of the living. 
I have received, I have received. Bishop was just a few weeks ago that you were talking about the four different individuals that you had, if you will, uh, contacts with, amen, that seemed to lead down a road, it would seem, to church or about church. Sister Mason just said today as we were leaving where we were eating about being, being she was walking around the, the hospital and, and that new sidewalk area out there and as she was doing her walking, there was someone coming out of the hospital, amen, that, that, that got her attention and even hollered her name and said, Roberta McGee, I think it was, because that was her name, of course, in school. It was an old classmate, amen, talking about how I guess that's where she works and, and, and she's talking about how she needed to be in church and she says, when, um, uh, Roberta asked her, sorry, amen, if you're going anywhere. She says, well, if I go anywhere, I'll go to the place that I can see from my house where I see people going in and coming out. She says, well, where do you live? She says, I live over there in Tower Heights. She says, no way. She says, yes. She says, that's my church. That's where I go. And she's making plans to be here next Sunday. Now, I said all that. That's great and wonderful. But between then, hey, between next Sunday and now, somebody's got to be a mother that says, that's my child. I'd rather see them live than die. I'd rather see them live than be overtaken. I'd rather see them live than be divided. But the test of our motherhood is whether or not we're pleading for their life. That's the test. The other mother, he said it can't be her because she's not weeping over the kid. She's not crying over the kid. She's not wailing over the kid. But that woman over there, there's tears in her eyes. There's a distraught face because she thinks her kid's gonna die. Whenever we fail to wail over lost souls and we fail to cry out to God for backslidden souls, we're giving an indication to heaven that we're not the mother of those souls. The church is not the mother of those backslidden souls. But I beg to differ with you tonight. Let there be prayers. Let there be crying. Let there be wailing because I want my son and my daughter to live. Test of motherhood is whether or not you're crying over the children. Then my wife this week. She goes and does a run to Princeton. Whenever my wife goes anywhere for one item, that is, number one, not the only item she's getting. Number two, not the only place she's stopping. There's no such thing as a quick trip. Okay. I wasn't on this trip. The kids were. I think they've already grown accustomed to this. They know how to interpret mom's language. She went to Walmart or Menards or one of those places over there. But she stopped by a little happy spot for her. It's a utopia for her. It's called the Goodwill. She's in the Goodwill for an extended amount of time doing her rummaging plundering whatever other thing you can add to it she's looking she's got I know 
Let me tell you, I'm not even there, but I can, I can prophesy. That she had several things in her cart, and everything she had in her cart she didn't buy, she put some things back up. Probably right before she went through the checkout. Folks, this just kind of side person load, okay? Is this okay? When we first got married, and she did this stuff, and she, I mean, she would load up a cart. Honey, I am, I'm sweating. I got my hand on my back right pocket. And I'm saying, this going to hurt. But after a while, I learned that she could have a full carton before it was done. It would be a, a manageable amount of items. And it's the goodwill for crying out loud. And so now she fills it up. Man, I don't have no stress, sweaty palms. My heart rate still is where it needs to be. But as she's doing this, she's kept running in, kind of running into a lady in this goodwill going by. My wife, she don't meet a stranger. That's fine. Amen. She says, oh, I'll just keep running into you. You know how all this stuff goes. She's going through the checkout. This lady's just, or close nearby, whatever, says, Are you apostolic? Two ladies. She says, Yeah, I'm apostolic. The other lady uh, had the appearance of apostolic and one did not. And she says, Well, she says, Well, I'm from Indianapolis. I go to an apostolic church in Indianapolis. But this is my mom here, the one that didn't have the appearance of apostolic, said she used to be apostolic and lives close in the area and she's needing the church to go to. And then came the drill. Do you believe in one God? Yes. Do you baptize in Jesus' name? Yes. Do you believe in standards and holiness and righteousness? Yes, yes, yes. Do you believe in anointing with oil? Yes. Who anoints with oil? Well, most times it's pastor and, and bishop. Well, that's great because I don't just want anybody putting their hands on me and imparting something. I believe that. Bible head says lay hands on suddenly on no one. Every time that happens in part, said all that. And she says, well, where's your church? She took down the address and stuff where the church was. My wife still on her little, <laughs> little shopping trip there, you know, going about. Sooner or later got a, t- a text, phone call, phone call from them. And so just want you to know we already been to the church. We've seen where it is. It looks pretty nice. You can expect us to be showing up. And that's great when it happens like that. But there's other children that's in a balance right now. It's great when they seek you out and they find you. But there's some that are waiting on a mother to test the test of her motherhood, pass the test of her motherhood. There's some that's not going to find you on the sidewalk. There's some that's not going to find you at the goodwill. But ladies and gentlemen, what they need is a mother in a closet of prayer, in a time of prayer, or at the church that's going to weep some tears for a faceless and a nameless person and cry out to God and say, God, you have a whole lot more that needs to be in your kingdom that's not in your kingdom. And I pray for the nameless. I pray for the faceless. I cry out to you, God, because I don't want to divide the baby. I don't the baby to die that baby belongs to the church someone say amen you may be seated sister McGee if we can go to Jeremiah 31 there is something spoken in Jeremiah 31 that also is spoken in the book of Matthew chapter number 2 in Jeremiah 31, though, is the first time that this is spoken. And if I can just lead up to this a little bit, we are familiar perhaps with a name in the Old Testament Scripture by the name of, of, of Rachel. 
She was. She was Jacob's wife. Rachel was in a situation in which she was barren. She could not have children. Although she could not have children, that did not remove her desire. Although nothing was being produced at the time. Someone follow me here tonight because heaven has touched me this afternoon. Just because she was unable to have children or wasn't having children or being reproductive at the time did not mean she was without desire for children. In other words, she didn't allow the dilemma of being barren become an attitude. For her life. She didn't settle down and just say, this is a condition, and this is a condition I'm always going to have. But although she had the condition, she said, I still desire to have offspring. So she's in a place of barrenness. She's in a place of barrenness. Her womb is seemingly closed up. Amen. She is. Listen, whenever you read the story of Rachel, she is a woman that is desperate for something beyond what her condition has given her right now. She is desperate for new life. She is desperate for the cry of a baby in her arms. She is desperate for the responsibility of pampering and feeding and teaching a child in her life. And as all this is going on, on you gotta understand how desperate she was she was so desperate according to scripture whenever she was not having any children she tried to come up some ways how can I have a kid she even gave her handmaiden she gave her handmaiden unto Jacob and somebody and I know we could look at this a lot of different ways someone said well my goodness what in the world is she thinking that is just showing you how desperate how desperate this lady was wanted children and so she says, I'm willing to give my handmaiden unto my husband just so that he can raise some seed unto our family and seed unto our name. She was so desperate for children that whenever that even didn't satisfy, the Bible says that Reuben had went out into the field and he brought in some mandrakes and she speaks to Leah and says, Leah, I'd like to barter, if you will, for the mandrakes of Reuben because mandrakes were, were a means of fertility in the Old Testament times. He, she says, I'd like to barter for the mandrakes of Reuben instead of Jacob coming to my house tonight. He can go to your house. Why in the world are you doing that, Rachel? Because she was desperate. She's desperate for children. Someone say amen. And so God seen her desperation. God seen her desperation her willingness, her desire in spite of her condition and opened her womb. And she gave birth to a child, Joseph. While Joseph is taken later, he meant away, he meant sold into slavery. She would have later her and her husband, Jacob. The Bible says as they were making their way to Ephratah, which was near unto Bethlehem, the Bible says that she would, as she is with child, go into labor. Uh, just been a little ways from Ephratah and Bethlehem. And she would give birth to a baby on that road. Not only that, she's given birth to a baby. And in order, it would seem, as the scripture almost portrays it, she had to die in order to give birth. See, before she could ever have kids, even her cry was this. 
husband Jacob, give me children, else I die. And the same woman that said, give me children, else I die, was willing to have a kid. She was willing to die to have a kid. Let me tell you that what needs to happen and what's important to happen, not just in this churches, but churches all across America. Mom has to come to a place in a position that she's willing to die in order to have kids. I know that might have went right over your head, but what that means is this. I got to get to a place where it's not all about me and it's not about all that caters to me around the church and it's not about everything that pets me and pats me on the back, but I got to allow self to die in order for some children to be born. She cries and says, give me children else I die. And she would die while giving birth to this child. And so that brings us to the scripture in Jeremiah 31. Sorry, Sister McGee. And verse number 15. Let's start at 14. Jeremiah, listen to me. You listening? Jeremiah is recording captivity of Israel, Judah recording the captivity Jeremiah is a weeping prophet we call him that he's a weeping prophet because he's told the people what's happening what's going to take place and they haven't heeded it he knows by virtue of it some of Israel is going to be lost and he's tore up and this is very similar and this happens to he's tore up because everybody that he once saved is not going to be saved and there's going to be there's going to be episodes of that but that by no means should keep us for reaching for the others Jeremiah preached the message if you're ever discouraged as a minister he's the man that you need to read about he prophesied he preached the word and seemingly nobody ever responded. Nobody ever took him at his word. Nobody believed what he had to say. But he was ordered of God to still speak the word. And give the prophecy. The Bible says. And look at the scripture here. In Jeremiah 31. And verse number 14. Prophecy comes. He says I will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness saith the Lord verse 15 thus saith the Lord a voice was heard in Ramah lamentation and bitter weeping Rahel which is Rachel weeping for her children refused to be comforted for her children because they were Listen to me. What this is, <laughs> Rachel, that's weeping for her children. She's of the tribe of Benjamin. That's a part of that grouping of Judah, Judah and Benjamin. These folks that's from her legacy and loins through Joseph and Benjamin are some that are going to exile. 
These are some that's going to the land of captivity. They're being taken from Jerusalem, their motherland. From Jerusalem, their homeland. And whenever you can read in Jeremiah 40, whenever Nebuchadnezzar and those different ones came and took the people away to captivity, Ramah was an assembly point that they came to and stopped before they took them on to Babylon. Remember that Rachel was not buried in the family grave in Machpelah with Sarah and Abraham and Jacob and Leah, but she was buried right there in route to Jerusalem, which is in the same vicinity of Ramah, just a few miles north of Jerusalem. You got to imagine all these kids that comes from the loins of Sarah and Jacob. They're in chains now. They're in bonds now. They're leaving their homeland. They're leaving the temple. They're leaving everything that has any indication of God to Babylon, to another system, if you will, to another country and another world. And as they are going, the writer here, Jeremiah, displays as though Rachel would rise from her sepulcher. Where was that? And that she would be weeping over her children. Why? Because she's saying, those are my kids. I don't wish any harm to them. I don't want to see them die. I want to see them live. Listen to me. I want to talk to you two things. Sows and backslidden sows. Because for this, in all actuality, one that was part of Jerusalem, part of the loins of Rachel, that were leaving. Backslidden sows. They had been in Jerusalem. They had been in the temple. They had been exposed to everything of God. Some have even received the spirit of God. But now they're being taken away from that land by the power of Babylon. But even in that moment, there's an old mother that Jeremiah portrays that's standing up crying, that's standing up wailing, that's standing up pleading and saying, oh God, here's the children that's being taken away. Here's the children. They're not now in Jerusalem. They're not now in the house of God. They're not now in the temple. They're no longer feeling the presence of his power. They're taken to a land that's foreign to them. They're taken to a land as captives. They're taken away in bonds. And when they were in Jerusalem, they were free. Everybody doing all right? Here's a mama crying out for some that's being taken, might I say, from the foe. I don't want to leave you there because verse number 15 says, thus saith the Lord, after that lamentation, after that comfort, not being comforted for children, verse 16 rather, the Bible says, thus saith the Lord. He says, refrain thy voice from weeping. You can only tell somebody for the most part to refrain from weeping if they had already started weeping. This is not like before you start refrain. This is you've already started. Now stop. Refrain thy weeping, he says. Look, and thine eyes from tears for thy work. Someone say thy work. Someone say my work. Thy work. What work are we talking about here? He displayed Rachel as a mother. Weeping for kids. He says, stop crying because your work, your what? 
You're wailing. You're weeping. You're crying. You're petitioning the throne. Your work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord. He says, they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope. If I got to stand on this platform on this Sunday night and look into the eyes of those that have suffered loss. Look into the eyes of those that have backslidden moms and backslidden dads and backslidden brothers and backslidden children and tell you it's not over yet. It's not over yet. If you'll cry out, if you'll weep, if you'll petition heaven, God's got a word for us. They're going to come again. They're going to come from the land of the enemy because of you. Your work. Because of your work. He said there's hope in the end. There's hope in time. I like to say it like this. There's hope in the future. Because of your work. Yeah. I got to be a voice of consolation tonight. Let's pray for five or seven years for that backslidden loved one. Don't stop. That is the voice of consolation I got for you tonight. Brother McGee, it's not, it's been 10 years and it hasn't happened. It's been 15 years and it has not happened. Let me tell you, Sister Rhonda, don't you give up one day, amen, forgetting what God can do for the lost children. Don't you stop. Don't you stop. Don't you stop. Because God says, because of your work, every day they cried, every day they lamented, every day they took that cry and that person's name to the Lord. I'm not being blind. I'm not being deaf. I'm keeping good record. And if it's going to happen, it's going to be because somebody got a burden for a Honey, my plight's the same as yours. I got people lost in my family too. And some of them's been 16 years. But I still cry. And I still lament. And I still call out to God. Because I know God is able to bring him from the enemy land. our hands right now to the Lord if we can oh I feel his presence in this place come on someone cry out to God right now someone cry out to God right now we'll take there's nothing wrong with taking a little pause and crying out and lamenting and somehow shaking the foundation of heaven with a cry let me tell you we can't we can't leave the crying 
for our children. And I'm not just speaking in a natural sense. I'm talking about in a spiritual sense. As a church, we can't leave the crying for our children to any other mamas. Because any other mother says, forget it, divide it. Who cares? No, no problem. Let me tell you, the adversary, he doesn't matter if he gets them dead or alive. He doesn't matter if he gets them bruised and battered. He doesn't matter if he gets them at the pinnacle of their life or in the slums of their life. It doesn't matter to him, but it should matter to the church that we're going to get them full back, intact, made whole, redeemed, sanctified. Baba! That's Baba because she's pleading for the child. Someone say amen. So there is hope. You can be seated. So there is hope in thy end. Verse 17. Saith the Lord that thy children shall come again to their own border. <sighs> thy children shall come again. There is hope. Someone say hope. There is hope in thy end, or if you will, there is hope in the future. You know what I see in that scripture, Bishop? I see another promise of fulfillment, what he already told them in Jeremiah 29, 11. Very popular verse. A lot of people use it for graduations, but it was for the nation of Israel. Whenever he said, for I know the thoughts that I have, I think toward you. saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expectation. I believe he follows up then later in verse 31 says because y'all's work he said there's hope in the end because y'all wailing there's hope in the end for those babies that's been taken captives to a foreign land and a foreign don't give up on the backsliders don't give up on the backsliders so Rachel's crying over her children those that had known, those that had been exposed. But the other place that we see this picture, this phraseology of Rachel crying and weeping is in the New Testament as well. The application of her crying now is different than what it was in Jeremiah. In the New Testament of Matthew chapter number 2 and verse 18 we see there's a reference made to Jeremiah there's a reference made to this, this, this episode of this crying that took place in that day in that hour the Bible says here it is in Ramah was there a voice heard lamentation and weeping and great mourning Rachel here it is again weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are What's happening, though, during this period of time? It's the period of time that Jesus is a young boy. You listening to him? Jesus is a young boy. Word has already come. Word has already come to his father that you need to get out of this place for a season because Herod is searching for you, and he knows that you're undoubtedly somewhere around two years old, and he's making a proclamation that all those that are two years old and younger are to be killed. These folks, these boys, these kids are too young to even know anything concerning life. 
They've not even perhaps experienced the temple. The spirit, the power, and the presence. For all purposes, for what I feel like God laid on my heart tonight, these are not the backslid souls, but these are the souls that have yet never experienced. And the writer says, I hear a voice. What's going on? Rachel is not only pictured as weeping over those that had known was taken away, but she's weeping for those that never knew. She's crying and she's wailing over those that never knew. What are you saying, Brother McGee? Well, whenever you consider Herod, Herod is of, of the descendants of the Idumeans. The Idumean, when you see Idumea, or he is, a, he is a descendant of Idumea, Idumea is Greek, the Greek form of Edom. In other words, the Idumeans were of the Edomite stock, the descendants of Esau, the twin brother, your womb. One would be Jacob, uh-huh, from which the 12 tribes came, from which the nation of Israel came, from which God's people came. And the other was Esau, who went his own way, joined himself to Canaanite and, and, and other women outside of his lineage and his faith, and would go the way of the world. Herod was a descendant of a man that had went the way of the world. And he's wishing to slaughter these two-year-olds. But the Bible's depicting a mama, Rachel, that's crying, laboring, and lamenting over these boys that have never yet experienced God. And according to the wisdom of Solomon, it's the mother that does the lamenting that is the true I do not want and we can stand tonight I, I got to come to the close I do not want there to be any confusion I don't want there to be any confusion I don't want this to be a situation that's constantly found in the balance waiting for answer just because being the church mama we're not lamenting and we're not wailing against what popular society says what the world says if you're, if you're sitting in here tonight listen to brother McGee if you're sitting in here tonight and you are even entertaining the idea of whether or not you're going to be taken captive by a foreign land and you're about ready to step outside of the church doors and leave this place and go a different road than where you have been and what you have experienced. Let me tell you something that might be a little against maybe what the devil is feeding to you right now. He doesn't care a lick for you. He doesn't love you. But listen to me. Is everybody okay? Listen to me. It's easier to be deceived that he loves people if they're not receiving the love they ought to be receiving from their real mama folks I'm calling this to a place here tonight and, and, and there's times that we have underscored the importance of the backslid and they are important I don't want to miss uh, mis mistaken that.
But I think that both are equally important. Lost souls in the backslidden. And that they both need to be prayed for and welled for. If it's been a while since you've been through your list of lost souls, it's time to dust it off. Get it back out. If you to certain degrees because of maybe you know more intimately than anybody else of the one that has backslid and you know the way that they have taken what life and what they've exposed themselves to and you're just scratching your head thinking you know what this just may be a lost cause let me tell you disembrace that idea right now and get it out just one more time and pray for that yeah. backslidden son and daughter and parent and grandparent or that lost parent. I made a purpose several months ago. I had a habit of going through names in my head. I got them pretty good. I don't know if there's a positive thing or negative thing, but whenever I pray for the church, many times I pray for y'all, not even looking at a list. I go right through my head, and the way that I do it, I remember where you sit in the pew. I don't know if it's good or bad. (laughs) But I did something a few months ago. And just to verify it's right here on my phone I can show it to you iPhone situated where you can make albums and all that so I made me a church album I went through Facebook everybody could and found pictures Sister Rhonda's a resource for that many times of even people in church you can never get a picture of except through her I downloaded all these pictures of everybody in our church I keep that album I go to God to prayer because I want to see their face and I go through there, and I'll just start my list. See right there? And I just start, I just start going through. Just start going through, praying for people in our church. There's Sister Margaret right there, worshiping God. There's Nikki Epperson right there. I've checked on her since I got back home. She's been working on Sundays. That's the reason why I was worried about her. There's the Johnson family right there. Look at there. You're on my phone. Go through and pray for them. But then I made this other list called Sows. Because there's people that used to come here and no longer here I'm still connected with. And there's people that's never been here I'm connected with. And I start I start doing the, the very thing you don't want to happen on Facebook. Start stealing paper, pictures. I start loading this album. I got some of my loved ones in there. Some of your loved ones. And some people you probably don't even know in here. But I go through there. And I tell you how you can call it weird or whatever. There's sometimes on my prayer, I take my little thumb and I'll just place it right there on their head. Some of those backslidden people, and I say, God, they're not foreign to what what we feel here each service. I lay heads on others that are being deceived by some other gospel which is not a other I pray God for, for truth to be revealed to them what are you doing pastor listen I don't crucify me if you want but I don't necessarily pray for my church every day there are times more than others that I feel absolutely inclination to pray for my church or pray for the lost souls or pray for this or that and whenever that hits me folks I go through those pictures and I pray. I see their faces. I see some of them with young children and I see that their soul isn't just their soul, but this is a generation of souls. Come on. 
what I'm doing over there in that in that office that also serves as my prayer room when nobody else is here I'm being a Rachel that's lifting my voice saying God don't divide the child my adversaries overlaid a lot of his don't 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 divide the child that soul belongs to us that person that male, that female, that child, that, 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 that teenager, whoever it may be, they belong to us. And I am just confident and have enough faith to believe that if I can keep doing that, though the years may go by, that he might tell me someday, Paul, don't shed another tear over that one. Refrain from crying over that one. Because I'm going to bring them from the land of the enemy. Folks, these altars are open tonight. And the test of our motherhood for the souls, the men and women backslid and never been experienced this before. The, the test for that is whether or not we have any pleading mothers in this house whether or not we have any pleading people lamenting people crying people in this house that says God we want that one to live we want that one to live don't take it don't take it don't let it be annihilated by the world I know they're deep within the dregs of sin they're all over them but God don't let it happen where, where the church is going to be a mother to that child that, that belongs to you and I'm going to cry out somebody needs to come up here with a lost loved one on their heart or their mind somebody needs to come up here with somebody that you know that's never known truth never had the Holy Ghost but you see them perhaps every week you have different conversations with them you need to come up here tonight you need to lay them down here on this altar and you need to cry and you need to weep. Hallelujah. Listen to me. And this is just purely the way my mind works, okay? Everybody's had their twist on why was it that Rachel wasn't buried in Macpelay with everybody else? Why wasn't she buried there? Here's my twist. I believe God knew some captives were going to be passing by that way one of those days and they needed to see a memorial of a crying mother for their benefit folks you might be the only cry for some of these souls you're crying out for right now you might be the only voice that's reaching heaven for some of those souls that you're crying out for right now don't quit don't stymie your voice or your tears don't let it don't let it be silenced cry much more vehemently cry much more ferociously and let heaven know we're mama to that soul we're mama to that child and we don't want to see that life we don't want to see it taken. Brother and Sister Mason. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.